For those of you who don't know me, I'm Charlotte. I am normally out in that room or that room, so it's very nice to be in this room uh, with you grown-ups this morning. Uh, you're not to cause trouble because um, I know how to keep some of you, no, the smaller versions of you, in line. Um, like um, Luke said, we're, this is officially the first day of December. If you weren't ready for it, if you're not aware of it, we're now in the Advent season, and the Advent season takes us through to Christmas. So we're at the sleeps counting time of the year, and without sounding like a total old person, I cannot believe that it's happened this quickly. Um, I need to do a, a rush out this afternoon and buy Advent calendars and all the things that make it feel like, yes, we are truly prepared uh, for this season. And so we, along with hundreds and hundreds of Christians over hundreds and hundreds of years, will be celebrating these four Sundays that lead us into Christmas. And this is a tradition that has been in the Christian calendar for years. So when something's significant enough, it makes it into the Christian calendar. And when Bay Vineyard can sort itself out enough, we make it part of our calendar. Um, so we're mostly following the rules today, which is very good for us. It's a really special time to prepare our hearts. And the problem with that word prepare is um, it's also a season where you need to do a wee bit of preparing, but it's important to keep it about heart preparing. But it is very easy to uh, think of preparation as list making, uh, which I think does bring peace and joy. So it could be an essential part of Advent. It's also where you need to make decisions around how to be really efficient, um, how to make decisions about when you put the tree up, what kind of tree. Caspina uh, has been campaigning for a number of years that we have a pine tree. I brought him a pine tree smelling candle uh, last year, but that didn't really... No, no, it wasn't appreciated. Uh, so there'll be some issues whether you're going away, we're facing that. Do you put a tree up that just stands alone in your house, just marking time with no appreciation? Or do you kind of just have this barren bit until you go? So these are, these are genuine concerns and conundrums that I need to process. We have a family tradition in my family of origin uh, called a Christmas outfit. So this is the norm, usual time on a Sunday where I embarrass my parents and they listen to it later and we talk about it. But um, here's, another, here's another part of my family. Uh, we have a tradition called a Christmas outfit. Now, I've had one since I was little. That's, we're talking Viala smock dresses, if anyone has got a yes and amen about that particular season. And so every year my grandma would make uh, me an outfit and I don't think she made them for my brothers, but we um, then that kind of... Uh, transferred later to we got um, you know bought a special outfit so the outfit would be bought in this particular month but you weren't allowed to wear it until Christmas day so you'd have the nicest item of clothing you could possibly own as a child in the wardrobe no wearing it whatsoever so you could look at it but you couldn't wear it till the day because it's very important that you have a nice dress for Christmas, right? So this evolved to when we were older, when we could choose our own clothes and get given some money. We still get sent money. Uh, Luke, now as part of the family, gets sent a particular <laughs> stipend for buying the Christmas outfit. We all get them all across our families, and we all try and stick to the rule that we don't wear the outfit till the day. Now as you get older, you think of efficiencies and the fact that, you know, it could be helpful to have at this time of year dresses. So So I've bought one and I'm not wearing it um, till Christmas Day when we go down to Christchurch and um, I'll get it out and it will be amazing. It's a lovely dress and I've got it ready to go but I wouldn't, I wouldn't break the rules. I'm not the rule breaker. 
Uh, so, um, there's, you know, there are Christmas traditions and Advent preparation and things that we look forward to that keep it special. And it's really hard to kind of hold that crazy back and to kind of keep that special going. So that's what I want to talk about today is trying, uh, like Luke said, Advent is to do with coming. And it's that we, on purpose, look forward to Jesus' coming. We remember that he has come and he will come. And we kind of, we position ourselves so we're ready and we're waiting, but we're, we're really intentional about that waiting. Um, so Christians, like I said, throughout history have embraced this. It's a deep, sacred practice because it allows us to take a deep breath and to slow down, all those things we don't do very easily. It allows us to remember the fact that Jesus came and took on flesh and was with us. So we are calling week one Advent love because that's what I wanted to talk about. You may find that Catholic and Anglican calendars have a different idea and have been doing something for quite some time. But as I said, it's pretty good that at Bay Vineyard we're following some tradition. So we'll cover peace and hope and joy over, these, um, over the month of December. So as we think about God breaking into our time and our space, we allow ourselves to reflect on what that means, we allow ourselves to remember, and we allow ourselves to be expectant again. And that's super hard as an adult, because you know all the tricks, you know all the magic, you're the bringer of the magic. So it's really hard as an adult to have that sense of um, carrying that expectation and being excited. So Advent is a bit of a gift to us because it forces us to be intentional, forces us to remember, forces us to give ourselves some space for anticipation and build-up. One way I like to do this with my children is, um, I have some rules, around birthdays because otherwise they can talk about their birthday you know, from the day after their birthday through you know, to the next birthday, and that's a long amount of time. So I made some rules that say your birthday was at near the end of January, you're allowed to talk about your birthday after Jesus' birthday. So once Jesus has his birthday, that's great, then we focus on your birthday, so it gives us about a month for build-up. If you were Caspian, perhaps, and your birthday was in May, you have to wait till after Jesus has died, and we've celebrated that at Easter. Um, it's, you know, very Jesus-focused birthday rules. But I'm trying to give a, a, a small time frame so that, yes, we can talk about your birthday and obsess about what is on your wish list and talk about the 50 different ideas that you've got for how you're going to celebrate it and wrestle with the list and, and make lots of, you know, focused excitement. But I really can't do 364 days of it, so let's condense it to a small amount of time. So the same idea is that for us for Advent, let's really, it's not that we forget that Jesus came to earth on any other day, and it's not that we don't celebrate his birth and his death and his resurrection, and we totally know what it means for us, but the intentionality of this month is really important. So it's posturing ourselves, and it's um, anticipating, and that may be a new thing for you. So we're going to try something a bit different today. We're going to use a little bit of the Advent tradition so I'm going to ask Jean to come and light our Advent candle. Hopefully you can see it. We've gone with green. We could build up to five. There's five in the, in the Advent wreath, but we're starting with one this year. So we light this candle because we want to be a people of the light who know a God who loved the world so much. This God chose to be born in a manger in the midst of the darkness. We light this candle as a sign of the light of the world that is coming into our darkness. The light of love is the sign of Christ's presence among us, no matter how dark it may seem. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth let there be love. 
And I'd like you to be very brave and stand as we read our Advent scriptures. Traditionally, Advent has scriptures from the Old Testament, from the prophets who foretold of Jesus' coming. There's part of the gospel story, and there's um, more scriptures from the New Testament. So I'm going to ask the wonderful Caspian Buxton to come and be our reader this morning. From the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And now from the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 2 to 7. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when... Quirinius was governor of Syria. (laughs) All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judah, David's ancient home. He travelled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there there was no lodging available for them. And from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And finally, also from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. You may have a seat. Now this is something, you are now officially entered into Advent. This is something you can do for yourself and as your families, you can light a candle, you can read some scriptures, there's heaps of devotions that have all just been released on Version, which is the Bible version a lot of us use on our phones, there's plenty of kind of, um, you can just work your way through the Christmas story, just a little bit each day, something to help connect you to the fact that Christmas is coming and it's not a disaster and it's going to be okay and actually this is um, the part of the story that is most significant for us. So today, like I said, we're going to look at love, and love in the form of Emmanuel, God with us. That means God came to be with us, came to be with you. Love in the form of a baby, vulnerable and humble, that looked a little bit like us. Love in the form of a gift, the rescuer, our saviour. Love in the form of grace. Love that makes his home amongst us. Unfailing love, faithful love, All the glory of heaven and the great and mighty God seen in his son with us. And we know how bad we are. And he came with us. When we look at love in this season of Advent, we look at incarnation, which means enfleshment, embodiment. That's the God of the universe squeezing himself down into a little baby and then growing as a man and being part of us. Incarnation means enfleshment. It means God becoming human. And the reason he did that was to heal humanity. And it was to reveal God's love in Jesus to humanity. 
It was far from merely the kind of initiating Christmas event. What it means is God assumes that human human nature and is seen now in the life of Jesus. God is love and love made perfect in Jesus. The nature of God is communicated to us in Jesus. We can know him. Love sent into the world to save. It was a pure love. It was the perfect example. It's our reference point. It's love given, love walked out. It's love being selflessly exemplified. If we ever need to know how to love, is it important, are we loved? It is all contained in the life of Jesus. He is the example of agape love. But that sense of love can lose its value when we view it through our 21st century lens because we have a devalued sense of what love is because we just love things. I love it. Just love it. You know when you love it, but you're not actually saying, I give my life selflessly for this and I will exemplify perfect love. You just love it. (laughs) So it's really hard because it loses its weight and loses its breadth and it love can be really fleeting. I loved it. And then you didn't love it. It can be really selfish. Oh, no, but I love it and then it's gone. It can be really opinionated. Oh, no, I really loved it. Oh, I just loved it. You'd love it. You'd love, you should do that. You'd love it. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Or it can be a bit fickle, like I used to love it, and then I know I don't love it. Or it can just be kind of on an icon. You can just press, oh, love, love that picture, love that picture, love that. Oh, I love that picture. Oh, you've got 29 of them. Okay, I love them all. And it's just kind of a passing thought, like I really did love it. Oh, no, I don't love it anymore. Because the problem is with love, like I love a good cup of tea, like I love a good cup of tea. So there's my love. Or um, I love a really good night's sleep. Who loves a good night's sleep? Yeah. Um, Or I love a really great washing day, you know, when you get it all done, love a great washing day. Or I love when it's quiet. Or I have loved binge watching The Crown. Loved binge watching. You said loved. Not a lot of you loving that, but it's fine. Um, or I love like cranking out worship music and then when my children say, oh, mum, your music's so loud. And I was like, yes, I love that moment. Or I love Instagrams of my nieces and nephews. Or I love a whole spectrum. And I'm meaning I like it, I appreciate it, I adore it, I'm really satisfied by it, I agree with it, or does all that kind of love. And so we need to reclaim the word love because we've slightly overused it. And we've lost that sense of what love means. And this is the season to reclaim it. And we are the people to reclaim it. So agape is universal, unconditional love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance. It goes beyond emotion to the extent of seeking the best for others. So because surprisingly love is not defined by being kind, it's not actually even defined by doing the right thing. And worse for us, it's not actually even neutral tolerance and appreciating differences in others, because that separates ourselves from things that are inconvenient. It doesn't actually admire from afar, because that's not Jesus' example, and it's not consuming, and it doesn't take. But that's the examples we've been given. That's what we've been shown. Personally, you may have been shown love in that way. Well, that's what we've been demonstrated. Just be kind. You do you. I'll do me. Just keep that love. It's not really love. There's no sacrifice. There's no selflessness. There's no engaging. But, you know, just going to love those people over there, loving them, just going to love myself or people saying they love you and they are taking from you, or just the love of the need to consume. That's the love we've been showing. That's what we've been demonstrated. That's what society draws us into. This season, starting with Halloween and Thanksgiving, and now um, you know, talking about Black Friday sales in our country, 
thinking of you, Keith. Shout out to that. But, you know, that's, there is a drive for consumerism that comes for us. You know when your heart sinks, you go into the warehouse and you're like, oh, no, they've put the Christmas stuff up already. But we, this is our season. This is our story. And yet within us we can have that feeling of like, oh, it's Christmas and we're not loving it. So um, to borrow from... John Mark Comer, who actually borrowed it from C.S. Lewis. I'll read you this definition of love. The decision and discipline of the heart, it is to delight in another soul, to see them as an image bearer of God, to will their good ahead of our own, no matter the cost. It is a command. It is an attitude. It is an action and not a feeling or a desire. It is modelled entirely on Jesus' words, his deeds, and his life. So the significance of Advent Sunday being about love is we are taking that word back. And we don't have to worry because the example is given in the incarnation. God revealed himself and his son was born and came to us. And he loved us. While we were still sinners, he loved us. So we don't need to fear that we're going to take this word back and, oh, no, I'm going to have to give to lots of people and be selfless and not love the wrong things. Because he loved us. He loved you while you were not even with him. He loved you. So that's our example. We are seen and we are known. So we're only giving of excess. We're only giving of what we've got. We're not going to pour ourselves out and be exhausted because the, um, the neutral tolerance is much safer, or the using the word love in excess is much safer. But when we enter into reclaiming this word love, we've actually got him guiding us. We've got him as an example, the ultimate example. The message puts it this way in John 15. This is my command. So pretty clear. So not like this is a strong suggestion. Something you could do if things go real bad. Take this advice on board. No. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. Once again, very clear. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Now, that's a hard word to hear because you think, oh, I know what Jesus' example ultimately was. That's a bit awkward. Um, Not keen to die for anyone. Please don't put that kind of pressure on me. But his example is this. It is an all-consuming, preferring, seeing others kind of love. It comes from a place, like I said, of knowing we're loved unconditionally first and not by what we do. So God's not going to love you heaps more because you've been super amazing. He's actually not even going to love you heaps less because you haven't been. He just loves you. He just loves you. And that's what he asks of us. This is the very best way to love. Put our life on the line, me, to me, speaks of long-haul journey. It speaks of community. It means that we actually get to know people, and we're actually there for them when it's really great and when it's not so great. It talks about serving. It talks about listening. It talks about giving up time for them. That puts my life on the line. It might not be convenient, but I will give up my time, my money, um, the space in my calendar for people. It talks about being family to each other and actually being with each other. It talks about having picnics at the beach and playing card games and laughing and sharing crappy stuff and asking for help and needing prayer and talking about things for long haul, long term. This is what love and community is. This is what you will be doing. You're putting your life your life on your line on the line for your friends by living in community with them, by loving them selflessly, by seeing others and preferring them. The really great thing about doing love in community is we're called to love others with others. So we're not all going to hit it off. And if I you know, don't really enjoy someone's company, it's going to be really hard to try and be super loving to them. But that doesn't matter because the person next to me will. 
And if someone finds it hard to talk to me, then the person next to them will be all right. We're in community. We don't have to get it right with everybody. But that's why there's so much safety in community, because you can love the people who come into your life. You can love the people you are wired to engage with. And it's so important you do that because someone next to you is not going to be wired to engage with those people. So that is why love and community, we make that commitment alongside others. I can be loved because I'm in community. There'll be someone. There'll be someone who loves us. But I can give out of that sense of security of being in community too. I can invite others in and I can have boundaries. I can say, this is what I've got capacity for. I can't do this, but I know someone else who can do this. Or this is where I start to burn out, but I'm going to need the support of others. So the love we've been modelled... We've been modelled the um, community of the Trinity. We've been modelled that God puts everything into order in community, that Jesus existed in a community of people, a close group of friends, people he was modelling, discipling and being apprenticed by, bigger groups and bigger groups. There's a system we've been modelled that says you don't have to do it by yourself. And you don't have to do it because you're going to do a super job by yourself. You do it because you're first loved. So that's what we need to look at. When we take back this word love and we think over the Christmas season, we will love from, a, from an excess, from a knowing that unconditional love that we already have for ourselves. We can be authentic because it's safe. We're in community and we're loved. We can encourage others to walk alongside us or to walk differently to us. But we can engage with them and not just love them from afar. Jesus modeled this for us, love for the long haul. He walked with us. He saw our pain, our joy, our suffering, our ordinary boring stuff, the silence, the spectacular, and when we rejoice. He sees that. He saw that with his disciples in the community around him. He continues to see that. I have a slight problem with how uh, Jesus did all the stuff he did, and you know we'll talk about it at some point. But he came as a baby, which is awesome, because we understand the picture of vulnerability and humility, and we understand um, the incarnation of that's how you become a human in our place. But um, he doesn't kick into his ministry till he's around 30. So then there's this long period of time where I'm like, that's not the most efficient use of the saviour of the world who's coming to rescue mankind. There's kind of a little, there's a lull, you know? Um, so it would have been, you know, there's the initial excitement, which was awesome. There would have been the initial scandal. You know, there'd be a lot of people still talking about Mary's pregnancy and her marriage. And there'd be a lot of people still casting aspersions and just checking. Uh, he looks like a normal baby. Might not have been the Messiah. You know, just questioning. Maybe they got a little carried away with the big celebration in the barn. There would have still been a few, you know, the wise men visited. That would have, again, caused a wee bit of stir in the community. There would have been some settling in things and nosy neighbours and a bit of whispering. There was the presentation at the temple, and that didn't maybe follow all the traditional pathways of that. There was the small incident of nearly being lost at a temple, so not a great parenting day uh, for Mary and Joseph. And then they were really uh, spoken to quite clearly by their son, which would have been difficult to process that you should have known where I was. So that's hard when your children point things out. So there was all these little insights that things were a bit different. But I still think in terms of a time frame, maybe if you'd been inserted into like at 29, just pop you in at 29, Jesus, you've got a year, get your crew together, sort out your plan, save the planet, thanks very much. But instead we've got Jesus, like he was a preschooler. It's a weird thought, isn't it? Or he was just a kid, or he went to lessons, or he had to learn, you know, how to help old ladies cross the road, or he, he went to parties, or he... 
he did stuff with his family. He learnt stuff from mum and he learnt stuff from dad and he ate figs and stuff. He, he did fishing and he did laughing and he, he learnt to handle having a body. Uh, he saw people as they were. He went to their parties, he went to the funerals. He really, truly became us. And I think the remarkable thing about a saviour that comes to rescue us, we know he was with us. He knew humans. He became one of them, but he really knew his people, his community. He really loved them, and we can really trust in that as our saviour when he says he's um, been like us and he's seen us because he was there. You know those boring bits in life? He had those days. He was truly there. He was really knitted into the people around him. He was really feet on the ground feeling what it means like to be human. I think that is incredible. He dwelt amongst us, what that really looks like. So this is his model of a long game, not just popping at 30, rescue, 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 see you later on, leaving you the Holy Spirit, good luck. But actually, I have done my time with you. I have walked where you have walked. I have seen you. I have wept with you. I have laughed with you. I have partied with you. I know the things you know, the things you hate, the really boring stuff, the great stuff. He is with us. That is the incarnation. Love is a long game. And if we show this kind of love, we will be watched and we will be observed and it will be tested because we will be building relationship. We won't just be doing really lovely things. We'll actually be building relationship. We'll be seen as are we sticking around or not. And that will cost. We'll need to be truthful. We'll need to be real. We won't be that love that looks down with pity and says, look, I could just throw you some coins. We'll be there in the mess with the people we choose to love. 1 John 4 encourages us with these words. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. This is real love, knowing that we were given it, we're saved, we're rescued, we've experienced this lavish grace, sometimes every single day. But from this, we love others. We bring the full expression of God by sharing love. We want to be a church that's motivated by love and stirred by love. And if you've uh, heard Sam's vision talk from last weekend, going forward, from 2020, we want love to be central to our prayer for renewal in the bay. We want love to be central to our commitment to be discipled. We want love to be central to our heart for wholeness for people. So to quote the mighty Sam Harvey, the foundation for everything we do as a church is a deep conviction that everything God calls us to is motivated by love and leads to life. He is love and he brings life. This is love, not one of his attributes, but his essence. God is love, and we get to show it. We've been called to show it. And there's going to be some great moments in that showing of it, and there's going to be some really hard moments. Just thinking of, so Frankie's four, he's about to be five. In 10 years, and we're looking at a 10-year plan, in 10 years, Frankie is a lad in youth group. 
So that is our church commitment. We're going to watch Frankie, who's been in Bay Preschool since we started church. He is going to go through and finish Bay Preschool and start in Team Bay. He's going to go through all of Team Bay, and he is going to come into youth group as a 14, nearly 15-year-old in 10 years' time. And that is our commitment. For every person that is in our church, we're wanting to take, you know, go through at least a 10-year journey with people. But that's what it looks like. We're not just being like, oh, cool, there's Frankie in isolation, doing his thing, hope it works out well, he's going to be nearly 15 in 10 years' time. We have gone to have journeyed with him. He's going to start school. That's going to be exciting. He's going to move through school. That's going to be exciting. He's going to go to high school, and that's going to be exciting. And we will know him because he is our community. And that's the same for every single person. When we, as we were committed to love, it's for a long game. It's long term, and that shouldn't feel like, oh my goodness, because I don't love you that much, now I've got to do this for 10 years. That means we've got time, and we get to enjoy all of those aspects of what it means to be in community. I shared with people at um, the retreat, uh, the vision day about a beautiful place called Te Araha Noa, and its name means love without strings. It's a community service. Love without strings attached, and we're really keen to use this as a blueprint for what we want to do in Murainui, because it's a place that serves and uplifts its community. It's in its community. It's there for the long haul. It's not just coming in and doing something and coming out. It's there and it serves from underneath. It's alongside and it's with, just like the example of how Jesus came to us, alongside and with. And we want to see the same thing happening in Marainui. We want to work with what's happening there. We want to support Bruce. We want to be a long-term commitment in this mission so that we can see things happen over time because they will take time. I really wanted to honour the wonderful Marley today, so I'm just going to do it via Bruce can pass this on. Marley, if you don't know Marley, Marley's married to Bruce. Bruce is over there. Uh, You might not know Marley because she can be a bit quiet at church. She is super lovely. She is in her community. I see her as a lighthouse. Because she stands strong and she stands constant. And any time you talk to someone about Marley, they have been watching her and watching Bruce for quite some time. And they stand as a couple who over a long time, with no one cheering them on at different phases, and they, people see change in them and people are loved by them and people know they are here for a long time. And they are an example of that kind of love. It's, it, they're not doing flashy things. Bruce doesn't come up every Sunday and share, this is how awesome I've been this week. This is what I'm doing. We know. But they are steadfast, faithful servants. And Marley stands as a, I really see her as a lighthouse because she points people, this is the way you should go, and this is what you should not do. But she does it out of love by her own example of her life. She has been so moved, and so it's so visible what God's love has done to her, and she shares that to others, and they watch. I've sat in a woman's group with her, and the majority of people that were in that group were there because they said, we saw something different about you. We saw it. They didn't hear it. They saw it. They saw it because she was living. God loves her. This is how I will love others, and I will do it for the long haul. So I want to honor her because she is quiet in church, and you may not have met her. And I'm looking over here because this is where you guys normally sit. Um, So don't next time just kind of throng on her. (laughs) But she is a wonderful example of being loved, knowing she's loved, and giving that love out and giving it out for the long haul. So let's us all, we've been taught to love one another. We've been taught to love because he loved us first. We've been loved. 
So let's position ourselves this Christmas and this Advent to receive that love and experience that love and give out that love. And it's going to require quite a bit because it's a ridiculously silly season. It is a season where we face unnecessary and extreme financial pressure. It is a season where we have increased stress. It brings us higher levels of anxiety than any other month of the year. It brings overwhelming expectations. It brings family. It brings tiredness. It means we have to try and slow down. It means we need to go shopping. It brings heat, which is evil. And it brings end of year breakups and multiple assemblies. And it brings deadlines. It's like the perfect storm. It's the wrong time of year to have Christmas. I think we can all agree. It needs to be cold. It needs to be hunker down eat food, lie down, get up and carry on with your life. But we do it this way. It is the end of the year, one. It is stupidly hot, two. It is deadlines for finishing the end of the year, three. It is children for a long period of time in your house eating from your cupboard. It is everyone slightly tired and cranky because it doesn't change temperature at the night time. Yeah. (laughs) Have I mentioned about the heat? It's a little hot. Plus, we have to make New Year's resolutions and think forward to another year. Do Christmas. It brings people to your house visiting and people you need to go and visit. It's all condensed into this little perfect storm. In the Northern Hemisphere, they just insert it in and then they move on. They don't give it eight weeks of school holidays and 30-something degrees. They just eat and be quiet and cold and still. So we do this silly thing here where we squash all of that into Christmas and, put a, and we start saying, oh, I just can't wait till it's over. You may have already said that already. I just can't wait to look. We'll just get through, look, we'll just get through Christmas. You know, we shouldn't be trying to get through it. It's the celebration of Jesus coming to earth, who came to save us, who told us to love people, the perfect example of agape. But we sometimes think, oh, let's just get through it. Let's just get through it. We'll just do it. We'll just, we'll just grin and bear it and make it happen. And so right in this moment, we are called to Advent to gear ourselves up to intentionally anticipate and to put us into a season of waiting and build up. So um, that's a cunning idea when we're faced with such difficulty. So here is our great modelling of all things Jesus, because sometimes we really want to be like him. Remember these things too. Don't exclude yourself from following his example that he withdrew to quiet places. You're allowed to do that. Don't exclude yourself from his example that he put in boundaries. He sent people to do things. He worked with smaller groups. He took himself away. He always always took himself away before and after crowds. You are actually allowed to follow his example in that area too. He reduced the size of people, the size of the people he spent time with, not the size of people. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different biblical take on that. He had quiet time. He knew to go away and soak in God's presence. He knew to spend time with actual friends as well as the people he was giving to. He knew to eat and enjoy and to rest. This is his example you need to take into this season. You are going to need to prepare yourself to prepare yourself for Christmas. And you're going to need to think very practically about how you can withdraw either side of crowds, how you can withdraw either side of Kmart, how you can withdraw... Either side of pack and save. This is the kind of example of Jesus we need to take on board as well. Shout out to pack and save there for Shane. Um, you won't need to withdraw and pack and save if you see Shane because you'll feel so blessed as you go into pack and save. You won't have an Advent crisis. But please take his example at every level. Yes, we are called to love others, but we are in community, so we've got it covered between us all. 
Yes, we are called to enter into Christmas and celebrate it, but we can have boundaries. We can withdraw. We can manage ourselves so that we can do this. Jesus was the perfect example of a non-anxious presence in a very busy world, and we can follow that example intentionally and look after ourselves. We do not become super Christians from burning out over this time of being super awesome givers of his love because you won't be demonstrating it if you're doing it at a cost to yourself or your family or your wallet. Be really intentional. Put the tree up. Crank the uh, carols. You're allowed to. It's the 1st of December. It's official. Michael Bublé comes out of the cave and he sings for the next 25 days and he goes back in. You're allowed to light candles. It's okay. It's not weird. You can just light a candle, then you can turn the candle off. You're allowed to start stashing away some yummy treats that you think, that's going to be nice. I'm going to put a little bit of that here and there. You're allowed to soak in the anticipation when you get caught up in the conversation that's, oh, Christmas. Just think, yes, it's Christmas. Be that person. People may not love you instantly, but fight against that stuff. You do not need to get caught up in the panic. And I know that for a lot of you will be facing real issues in terms of financial stress and real issues in terms of family. But withdraw, soak in God's presence, use your community and, and really take on board that example of Jesus. I'd really like to pray for people today who are feeling just utter dread for this season coming ahead. I'd really love to pray for people who just need uh, to immerse themselves in that sense of anticipation that is Advent. I really love to pray for people that are just feeling that Christmas is just too much because I don't want you to lose the mystery of it. Christmas this week is about love and that's what I'd like to pray for. But let's stand and pray for all of us in general as we make it through December with love, joy and peace. Remember, everything God does is through love and he's here to bring us life and this is the right time of year for this. We, this is our season. This is what the world needs and what we need to show them. Show them. So let's pray.